Moses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanah, Kamush, Hezron, Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. Those are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Ithar, Hebron, and Uzziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Melai, and Mushai, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Ithar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elsaphan, and Sithron. Aaron took as his wife Elishabah, the daughter of Amminadab, sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putael, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses, this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old. And when they spoke to Pharaoh. Take a breath. <laughs> Can you believe that? Give her a round of applause for that. Whoa. I was so glad I didn't have to read all those names. And I told Esther earlier in the week that she's going to have to. I let her know on Monday. And she's like, yeah, I got it. And she just slayed it. I mean, everybody does got it. What's important is the word of God, right? But whoa, I'm impressed. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that you're here today. So thankful... More, maybe more so than normal because we weren't here last week, right? We take our one time a year, we take a week off to let all of our volunteers rest and just enjoy Thanksgiving weekend. And so I'm, I, I genuinely missed you all. Man, I just miss this, the gathering of the saints. There's nothing like it. And I know with masks and social distancing, it doesn't feel the same as it used to, but man, is it still better than nothing. Um, and so I'm so glad to see everybody here today. As you, as you um, just saw, we're going to start in Exodus 6 today. Well, um, if you haven't been with us, again, we've been walking through Exodus. We call the series Kingdom to Kingdom. And this is our last week in this book for a few weeks. Because next week we're going to jump into Advent, which Advent just means the coming. We're going to celebrate the coming of Christ. We're going to do that through the end of the year. And then we're going to start the year with a short series. I'm not positive what that series is going to be yet, which is really rare. Because I have Exodus lined out. I know exactly what we're going to do through next May. And so I plan ahead. But um, be praying for me. I think I know now what we're going to be doing to start off the year. But I've been talking with quite a few people just trying to feel out, like, I want to do what the Holy Spirit wants us to. And last year, God made it very clear that we needed to do our Trust and Rest series. And if you were here for that, you, you remember what God did through that. Like, God really stirred the affections for our people. And so I think I know what it is, but just be praying what that series is going to be. And we'll kick off the year of that. That'll probably be through January, and then we'll jump back into Exodus um, in February-ish. 
February-ish. And it works out that this is our last week in Exodus because this week is kind of a recap passage of where we've been. So if you're new, that will work out well for you. But it's more than just a recap. It's not just recapping. I think God's got something really powerful He wants to show us as right before we take a break from Exodus for the holiday season. And so if you haven't been with us, I see some new faces. Let me, let me catch you up really brief, briefly. The Israelites came to Egypt. It's the family of Abraham came to Egypt, and there was only 70 of them when they came. And they came under huge blessing to Egypt. But God told the Egyptians, when I, or not the Egyptians, the Israelites, when I say the Israelites, when I say the Hebrews, when I say the Jews, all same people, right? And so when the Hebrews, the Israelites came to Egypt, huge blessing, the Egyptians loved them. But over 400 years, two things happened. One, God kept, kept his promise to Abraham. He has made a huge people group out of these people. They're an enormous people group by the world standards now. So God kept his promise. The other thing that happened is Pharaoh saw how big this this family had gotten and started to fear them because they're not Egyptians, they're Israelites. He started to fear that they might, whatever it was, they might overthrow him or they might become rebellious or whatever. So what did he do to the people? He enslaved them. And he even went and started killing their boys so they, to stop their growth and to oppress them. Well, it didn't work. They kept growing. And so the people under their oppression cried out to God and they said, God, deliver us from this slavery, deliver us from the hand of Pharaoh. And it says that God heard them and God knew them. Like God knows his people. And so he promises to deliver them. And he sends Moses to do that. He calls Moses. But here's the thing. Moses had no confidence in himself at all. But by the assurance of God, God is, I am the I am. I will be with you. You just go. You do this thing I've asked you to. And not only that, I'm going to give you your brother Aaron, who's going to help you talk. He's going to help you confront Pharaoh. Well, they go and they confront Pharaoh. And how did it go? Really, really badly. So badly, in fact, that Pharaoh increased the workload of all the Israelites who were already heavily oppressed, oppressed them to the point of the breaking point. And when Moses and Aaron leave the meeting with Pharaoh and they find out what has happened, the Israelites basically curse their name. They say, may God judge you for this. So the people are under heavy oppression and they're super disheartened. As we said last week, they're, they're giving back into that, that brokenness that came from slavery. They're giving back into the slave mentality. And not only that, not only seeing that the people are discouraged, but Moses comes out of that meeting and he's like, God, why are you doing this evil to your people? Why are you letting this happen? Moses is also super discouraged and having doubts. And do you remember God's response to that? Here's a summation. Moses, I know this is hard, but you need to remember who I am. I am the God of your father's. I am the God that has been faithful to you and will continue to be faithful to you. I am the God that keeps my promises. I am the God that will deliver my people. Not, I will deliver my people. I am going to be their God. And they are going to be my people and they will know me. Moses, don't focus on the moment. Don't focus on you. Don't focus on your ability. Focus on who I am. And I'll get you through this. I'll get you through this. That's the context we bring into our passage today in Exodus 6.14 when Esther read that genealogy. And I actually had quite a bit to say about the genealogy, but we don't have time for it today. So I'll just say this. Um, you can read the names. You can read the families. These are the family line of Jacob and a lot of them that came to Egypt. Here's why this is important. Because for some of us, if you're reading the story of Exodus and then all of a sudden it stops and it goes to this list of genealogy, that might seem like kind of a weird left turn, right? And then it goes right back into the story. But for, for them, it wasn't. Remember, Moses wrote this book later, after all of this has happened. And he wasn't writing it for the generation it happened to. He was writing, he was writing it so that later generations could hold on to what God did from them in the Exodus and not forget. Right? And so when Moses is writing this, he's writing it to Jewish people. Well, what's really, really important to, to the Jewish people? Their family. They all come from the line of Abraham. They were, they were called by God to protect that family line. In fact, when they go to the promised land, when God gives them the land he's promising them, he'll divide up the land and give it by what family you came from. We call them the tribes, like Manasseh and Judah and Gad. The whole land is divided up by that. And so being Jewish, protecting the family line, doing what God asked them to do is really important. And so when later generations read this, after this, there's going to be a lot of Moseses and Aaron's coming down the line, right? Everybody's going to want to name their kid Moses three generations from now. So Moses is saying, this is who I am. I came from the line of Abraham. And not only that, I came from the line of Levi. 
And later, the family of Levi will be the priests. They'll be the spiritual leaders of the Jewish people. So he's giving affirmation. Not only did God protect the line of his leaders so that we could come and lead you, but he protected them in the family line of Levi. They were fully qualified to be the spiritual leaders of the Israelites. Does that make sense? So to us, it's kind of like, okay, it's a big list of names. To the Jewish people, this would have been a really big deal in a way that we really can't fully understand. Make sense? So we could spend more time there talking about the names and who Koath and all these people ended up becoming. Um, It'll play out later in, in Scripture, but we just didn't have time today. So I really want to focus more in on the text that we're going to focus in today, which is Exodus 6, 28 through 7, 7. And here's what I want us to see. That yes... The main focus of the book of Exodus is who God is, right? I am who I am. He is the great I am. This book is about who God is and what God is going to do. But underneath that, this book is also about who we are in him, isn't it? God's trying to show the Israelites because of who he is that that informs who they are. And this is just God's chosen family plays out for us too because we go down the line and Jesus brings salvation to all the Jews and all the Gentiles alike and we're all part of the family of God. So it's really pointing us to who we are but there's something else that's going on here. We are going to focus on those two things in this passage today. You're going to see it today. But there's something else that God wants to do in us. There's something else that God wants to do through us. And that has the potential to change the world around us. And we're going to see God hinting towards that. He's going to, we're going to see God pointing to that in our passage today. With that as a context, let's jump back into the main part of our passage today. Read with me in Exodus 6.28. And we're going to read verses... 28 through 30. Exodus 6, 28 through 30. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am a man of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? All right. This is earlier why I said this is kind of a recap. It's kind of bringing back together the things that have happened in this book. Because Moses has already went to Pharaoh once, like we said, right? And it didn't go well. And I don't think this is referencing another time that Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh. This is talking about how they've already gone. And God's reiterating that they're going to have to go back. They're going to have to go back into the courts of Pharaoh. They're going to have to confront him once again and tell Pharaoh all that the God of the Bible commands. And so Moses is hearing this. He's kind of recapping where he's at, where he's been, how he feels. And once again, we see Moses' response to God when God says, I need you to go back in front of Pharaoh. And what's Moses' response? I'm not good enough for this. In the passage, it says, I am a man of uncircumcised lips. Do you know what that means? Man, if you're new to Christianity, that's a weird phrase, right? I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. It's okay that it's weird. Um, If you were a Jew, it would make complete sense to you. Here's the thing. What we have seen so far is Moses does not believe at all that he's an eloquent speaker. Some people say that Moses was a stutterer, had a speech impediment. That might be true, but I don't think from the Hebrew, from the actual book, we can, we can confidently say that. He might, he might very well have been a stutterer. He might have had a speech impediment. But whatever it was, Moses had no confidence that he could be convincing or inspire anybody to do anything. He didn't feel like he'd have the right words. Not only that, he was a former murderer who Pharaoh wanted to kill right? On top of that, he's now a shepherd, which is the lowest rung of society other than being a slave, which which is what Aaron is. And then at the end of our passage today in verse 7-7, it says that Aaron and Moses are basically old men by this point. So they're not good enough. He doesn't think he's good enough speech. He's a murderer. They're at the lowest rungs of the society, and they don't have the vitality of this because they're already old. You see why he might not have had a lot of confidence walking in before the most powerful man in the world. So Moses says this phrase, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. And I think it partially means those things. But I think, I think it might mean, mean a little bit more. If you're unfamiliar, being circumcised was a physical sign of an inward truth for the Jewish people. Does that make sense? Physical sign of an inward truth. It was a sign that they were the children of God. They were the people of God. That they had been saved and made righteous by faith. New Testament or Old Testament? Yes, in the Old Testament they followed the law, but they were still made righteous by faith. Look at Abraham. So it was a sign that they knew who they were and they knew what God they followed. And I think what Moses is saying here is I'm not, not only am I not gifted enough, but I'm not righteous enough either. This moment reminds me of a time when the prophet Isaiah, later in the Old Testament, comes before the presence of God. Do you, does anybody know, anybody remember what happened with Isaiah when he came before the presence of God? 
He fell on his face. He said, I feel like I'm coming undone because God was just too holy. And he cried out, I am a man of unclean lips, sinful lips, amongst a people of unclean lips. I think this is what Moses is basically saying here too. Yes, I'm not good enough, but I'm not spiritually good enough either. I'm a sinful man and you are holy. God, I am not capable enough. I am not confident enough. I am not gifted enough. I'm not even spiritually righteous enough for this task. Why would you send me to Pharaoh? And I think this is something that almost every person in this room can relate to. Right? If not now, at some point in your life. But I'm, saying, I'm guessing most of us right now can at least re- relate to something in this. Isn't that a lot of the same reasons that you don't actively share the gospel with people? That you don't actively tell people about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? That you feel like um, you're just afraid you're not knowledgeable enough? You're afraid what people will think of you. You're, you're afraid that you, you're not convincing enough. You're, you're afraid you're not gifted enough, that you're not capable enough, that you're not spiritually righteous enough. Anybody else ever feel any of those things? And as before, when Moses says this back to God, Moses, God says, go do this. And Moses says, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. Why would you send me to Pharaoh? How does God respond to him? Is God's response to Moses, Moses, why aren't you better than this by now? Does God shame him because he doesn't have enough faith in who God is? No. God responds with patience, love, and hear me, and truth. Right? Patience and love is not enough. Right? When somebody's off course, patience, love, those are primary, but also truth. Look how God responds to Moses in Chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, when he says, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. Verse 1, and the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. So God's response, Moses, I've made you like God. Now, he didn't say, I've made you a God. Don't get that confused. He said, I've made you like God. And what did he mean by this? Moses has unprecedented access to God in a way that nobody else did. Moses has this intimate, deep, personal, almost father-son relationship with God that no one else has ever had before, right? He's, he's led by the Spirit of God in a way that nobody else has before he, this, through this relationship. Not only that, but through that relationship, through the presence of God, God has given him miracles that no one else has ever done before. Right? If you were with the burning bush, he can change his staff into a snake. He can put his hand and turn it into a leper. He's going to be a part of the miracles that, some of the miracles that God does later. Right? God, not only does he have the presence of God and the spirit of God, but he's got the supernatural powers of God. Well, maybe just a tiny, tiny, tiny little sliver, but, but some of it there. So he's not saying you are God. He's like, when you go before Pharaoh, you'll represent me. You'll be the mediator. I'm going to give you some of my power when you walk in there. So walk in with confidence because I'm with you. Not only that, in the Old Testament, a prophet was someone who spoke directly on behalf of God. Not like, again, I I think I said this a few weeks ago, not like when we say, you know, I think the Lord wants me to tell you that whatever. Not the same. Capital, like lowercase p prophet, if we want to go that far, which we probably shouldn't, right? This is capital P prophet, prophet. God told me this directly, and I'm telling you this directly. That's what Aaron is representing here. God is giving his mediator, Moses, the words that they're supposed to speak. And if Moses doesn't want to speak them or doesn't have the confidence that day or whatever else, he's got Aaron there to be his mouthpiece for him, to be basically his prophet. You know what's kind of cool about this is Moses has no confidence in himself. He feels like he needs Aaron. If when we read through the rest of the story, if you've ever read it before, who does most of the talking? Moses. See, this is how gracious God is. He gave him Aaron, but Aaron doesn't even get used that much. Right? He does some right? Maybe more than we know from the story, but Moses ends up doing a lot of the speaking. And so this is God just saying, hey, Moses, this is it. This this is summation. I got you, bro. Not direct translation, right? But he's like, I got you. Don't worry about this. I've given you a piece of myself. I've given you Aaron. I've given you everything you need. So you go and represent me before Pharaoh in powerful ways. I got you. But it's not only that. I gave you, I gave you Aaron. So even when you don't feel good enough on that day, you don't have the thing to say, I got you. But it was more than that. Not only was God giving Moses things directly, he was doing things around Moses that Moses probably didn't even know about, couldn't even fully understand. 
God is doing things around him to accomplish his will so Aaron will be, so Moses and Aaron will be successful. Look at verse 3. And we'll read through verse 7. We'll finish out our passage for today through verse 7. So chapter 7, verse 3. This is God talking. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. All right. There are two main things I want us to get out of this part of the text today, which is really the main part of our text. The first thing is God is reminding Moses that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. He's already said it earlier in Exodus, but he's saying it again here. Remind him that he's hardened Pharaoh's heart. Basically telling Moses, hey, don't expect Pharaoh to listen to you. Yeah, he came out of that first meeting all disheartened, didn't he? But God told him he wasn't going to listen and that God was going to have to do mighty things for him to listen. So he said, listen, don't expect him to listen listen to you. I've hardened his heart so that through his hard heart, my power, my signs, my wonder, my glory might go forth. Now, here's the thing. Some of you might hear or have heard this thing, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and start to feel bad for Pharaoh. Is that right? Like, I, I think like, oh my gosh, why would God harden someone's heart and when they don't respond, hold them accountable for it, hold them accountable for rejecting him? And I, under, I totally understand where you're coming from. I, I totally understand why that's hard for some of us to get. But here's the thing. Um, that doesn't take into the context whatsoever. No, whatsoever. It's clear from the text and from his own actions that Pharaoh was an idol-worshiping, slave-having, oppression-propagating pride monster. He believed himself to be a God. So yes, the text says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but many other texts in Exodus and other places in Scripture says that, says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. He was a hard-hearted individual. This is not, listen, this is not God taking someone who longs to be with him and preventing them from coming to salvation. No. This is a hard-hearted person deserving the wrath of God, deserving God's judgment, deserving for all of the things that he has done, and God just hardening his heart so he would not respond to the pressure of God until God was ready, so that God's glory would go forth. That is what God is going on here. Pharaoh means all of this for evil, for self-promotion, again, because he thinks he's a God. And Otherwise, why would he let the slaves go? By a worldly standard, they're propagating the Egyptian economy by now. They're holding up the economy of Egypt. Like they have this powerful workforce. Why in the world, by his own standard, would Pharaoh let these people go? It makes him a better God-man. So God is going to use Pharaoh's evil to spread his glory to the entire world. And as we've seen, if you were here when we talked about Joseph, God even uses the evil of people. To bring good about. In fact, God is going to do so much through Pharaoh's hard heart that he's not, not only is the whole world going to hear about when the most powerful empire in the world falls because of a bunch of slaves and their God, but we are still talking about this story 3,500 years later. How crazy is that? Because God hardened Pharaoh's heart so his wonders, so his glory, so his judgment would go forth, we're still talking about it millennia later. Not only that, if you talk to a lot of non-Christians know this story. Hollywood makes movies about this story. God is still declaring his glory through this story. So don't feel bad for Pharaoh. Pharaoh deserved more than what he got. He was rebelling. He was totally against God. God just hardened his heart until the time God was ready, not when Pharaoh was ready. Does that make sense? And praise God for that. He's, got, he's in control of everything. Listen, he's even in control of the evil that happens in this world. God's got a purpose. God is working all things out for good, whether we can see it or not. And listen, it's okay if you struggle with that sometimes. The Israelites really were struggling with that. Moses was struggling with that in the moment. It's okay if we don't always get it. But God is the I am. He is in control. And we can find peace in that. So that's the first thing I wanted us to get out of the text today. Here's the second. And really the main thing I want us to walk away with today. God 
has every intention of making his glory known to the world through you. Through you. Not through them, not through pastors, not through people like Moses, through you. Let me show you what I mean. Here's what I want to do. We're in Exodus 7. Flip back to Exodus 6. I think we're going to put it up on the board so you can read it on the board, but we're going to look at Exodus 6 through 7. 6 through 7. Here it is. I'm going to read it from, my, from the Word. You can kind of read it up there, right? But let me, let me read Exodus 6 through 7. This is kind of a similar to the passage we're about to read in chapter 7. So Exodus 6, 6 through 7 says this. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the, under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of what? What is it? Judgment. I want you to remember that word. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall what? Know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, this was God encouraging his people in a really difficult time, right? This was right after it went really bad with Pharaoh. And God basically says to them, as he said to Moses, listen, I got you. I'm going to deliver you through great acts of judgment so that you will truly know, so that you'll truly know I am your God, that you are my people. God is saying here, I want you to know me. I want you to see my love. I want you to see my faithfulness. I want you to see me deliver you in powerful ways so that you might know me. It's what Jeremiah 31 talks about when it talks about the new covenant. No longer will I have to write the law on your heart. They will all know me. This is what God wants. So anytime God says, well, we just can't really understand who God is, untrue. Our God wants us to know him, 66 66 books, so that we might know him. Can we fully know him? No. As the word that Brandon always uses, I can't pronounce, unfathomable. We can't fathom how deep God is, how deep his grace and his mercy and who he is, but God still wants us to know him as much as we can know him. This is about his people knowing him so then they can trust him. The more we get to know God, the more we will want to trust God, the more that will be, dare I say it, like God, that will become more like Jesus Christ, the God-man. That's what God wants, for us to know him. Now I want to read Exodus 7, 4 through 5 again. I want to see if you catch the difference in that text and this text, because they're really similar. He's basically, God's basically saying the same thing in a recap, but it's a little bit different. So Exodus 7, look at verse 4 and 5. We're not putting it on the board, so pull pull out your word if you don't have it. It says this, Verse 4, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment, just like in the last text. Verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring my people out of Israel from among them. Did you see the difference there? It's really similar. Did you catch it? It's a big difference. This time again, it says that Pharaoh's not going to listen, and then I'm going to deliver my people through great acts of judgment. But after that happens, who does God in verse 5 say are going to know him? The Egyptians, right? God is doing all of this so that he might be known. So yes, first and foremost, God wants us to understand who he is. And within that, he wants his people to know him, to know who he is, to know how faithful. But in this, God is not only doing this so the Israelite people who are his people will know who he is. He's doing this so that the Egyptians might know who he is. What we're going to see through the rest of Exodus, as God systematically destroys the power of Pharaoh, as God dismantles the power of the so-called gods of Egypt, What we're going to see is more and more the Egyptians start to believe in who the God of the Bible is. And by the end, most scholars think that a lot of the Egyptians, not a lot, but some of the Egyptians actually left with the Jewish people and became Jews, converted over. But even for those that didn't go with God, are there people that know that God is God and still don't worship him? Yeah. It says in Scripture that even Satan and demons know exactly who Jesus is. They know exactly who the God of the Bible is, and they don't worship him. There's a difference between knowing God is who he is and worshiping God as your Lord, as your Savior, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And by the end of this, even the Egyptians that decide not to go and worship the God of the Bible are going to know that he is the God over all gods as he dismantles the power of Egypt spiritually and physically. 
the actions of Moses and the Israelites, empowered by the wonders and the might and the glory of who God is, are going to evangelize who the God of the Bible is to the world. And that's pretty awesome. God is evangelizing who he is through his people through all of this. Whether they decide to worship him or not, they're going to truly know who is the power in the universe. As I said before, church, I'll say it again. The book of Exodus is first and foremost about knowing God and knowing what he has done for us. I know some of us grew up with children's stories basically saying, hey, you can be Moses. No, the story is not about Moses. This story is about the I am. And then secondarily, it is, it is, it absolutely is about who we are in him, that we might know God because God wants us to know him. But this book is also about God using the most unlikely people possible to spread his glory to the world and throughout all the ages of the earth. Do you think it's an accident that God created an environment where his people would become slaves, where they had absolutely no power at all, that they'd be led out of Egypt by a shepherd and another slave against the biggest empire, strongest empire in the world? Do you think that's all an accident? No, God wants us to see so clearly, listen, this is not about you. Don't carry that weight and don't even carry the weight of giving the perfect gospel presentation. I've got you. I am the I am. You just go. You just be faithful. I've got you. Church, we, what an opportunity we have to make God known in times like these. I know we all know this, but we're all embracing this. Because yes, through Exodus, the first thing I want you to understand is the depths of who your God is to know the great I am. And yes, I want you to hold on to the truth for yourself. That is good. That is right to understand who God is and who you are in him. That is number one. But despite your weaknesses, despite your failures, despite your fears, despite your imperfections, God wants to use people just like you, just like you to spread his glory to the world. God wants to use your life. Do not think about somebody else, your life, to make his name known to a blind and deaf world, to who, about who he really is. And if God will use slaves, and he'll use shepherds, and he'll use an insecure guy like Moses, who feels like he has nothing to offer to God or his people, don't you think he wants to use you too? If you're unfamiliar with it, Victory Mission has a restoration program. And it's a program that takes guys out of addiction or out of jail or out of homelessness or just whatever other situation that they feel like they, they, feel like they need something. And they go into this program and it is a God-centering, Christ-honoring place where they go and they get healthy and they learn how to have wholeness and they learn about their identities in Christ and they're given the tools that they need to move forward because at the program at Victory Mission, they know that the only true freedom comes through Jesus Christ. Yeah, jobs are important and learning life skills are important and getting free from addiction is important, but who we are in Christ, that's where freedom comes. As I said in our series a couple years ago, holiness is freedom. Holiness is what actually leads us into freedom. Well, every day, every Friday morning for about the last two years, there's a seven o'clock devotion and I've gone and helped lead that with some other guys from Freshwater. And I'm telling you what, I absolutely love those guys. I love going to it. And as even like with life groups, you know how life groups, some weeks you don't want to go and then you go and you're like, man, I'm glad I was at life group or church. Yeah, you know, some, some mornings at seven o'clock when I've had a long week, I'm like, oh, I want to go do the, I want to do the devotion. I love those guys. And then I get there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I was here, right? Every time. Um, that's rare because man, it's just incredible. I love being there. Well, you know, I go, Tom goes, Tom's been going a long time. Um, uh, Mike's been going for a long time. And it's just great because the guys are awesome. I'm so encouraged by them. Hopefully, they're encouraged by us. Um, here's the thing, though. Um, for about a year, Mike, where are you? I told him I was going to pick on him today. I won't ever pick on you from the front unless I ask. For about a year, Mike's been coming to those devotions. And he's gotten to know the guys, and he encourages them. He builds relationships with them, and he's just a great presence there. It's just great to have another guy there with me. Man, I... The guys love Mike. I love Mike. Mike loves them. He, he genuinely cares. 
And he picks, he picks up a lot of guys from Victory every week. I don't know if you knew that, but almost every week he picks up the guys and, and brings them over here before they, can, they have their license. But over the last year, a time of change came. I think both, and, both Mike and I knew that it was time for him to stop just attending and start leading those devotions once in a while. It was time for him to lead. And I tell you what, um, I told Mike I was going to kind of out him like this. Mike could not have been more like Moses if he, if he tried. Right? I heard all of it in the weeks and months leading up to me, kind of slowly encouraging him, putting that, that, that bug in his ear. Hey, man, this is coming. I'll walk through this with you. Get yourself ready. I heard, well, man, I'm just not ready. Man, I, I just, I don't think I know enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. Like, I just, I don't think I know. Um, I, I haven't really done something exactly like this before, so I, I don't know that I can. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to know what to say. What, what if I get lost? What if I, what if I don't have the right thing to say? I just don't think, here's the big one. That we're all going to say, I just don't think I'm in a good enough place with God right now. Which might even have been true at some point. Like, it just doesn't feel like he's in a good enough place with God. Now, does that sound familiar to anyone? Did Moses not say those exact same things? Have you not said those exact same things? Like, I wanted to make sure Mike knew, I'm not picking on him. This is us. This is the human condition, is it not? He is not a perfect guy. Mike is very aware that he is a man of uncircumcised lips. He's always talking about how he's just desperate to be more kind, just desperate to be more patient, desperate to be more gentle, to be a better husband, to be a better father. Mike is far from perfect, and he's very aware of it. But is God only calling perfect people to go and reach a lost world? So about three weeks ago, Mike led for the very first time. And man, he was nervous. You would be too, right? Of course you would be. First time, and he wasn't perfect. And it wasn't perfectly polished. And it didn't all go like he thought it would. And he didn't come across as a a professional. And it was wonderful. It was amazing. And the guys responded to it because Mike was honest and he was open to them and he told them the truth, and he was just faithful. And you know what? God just took care of the rest. God took care of the rest. Yeah, I I say this humbly. He did not sound like me. Who cares? I do this every single week for the last eight years. Of course, I'm going to sound a little bit more polished. Why are you comparing yourself to the pastor? That is not what God is talking about here. He's saying where you are, exactly who you are with your gifts and your weaknesses, just say yes, despite it all. Church, do you know that everything in Exodus is ultimately pointing to Christmas? This might feel like a left turn in my sermon. Just stick with me. It is not a left turn in my sermon. Everything is pointing to Christmas, to the time when true deliverance would come into the world through our Savior. Everything in Exodus is pointing to Jesus Christ. He is the blood that covers up our sins so that our sins might be passed over as we're going to see the Passover later in Exodus. The whole Old Testament refers back to Exodus again and again and again until true deliverance comes. It's all pointing to the time that Jesus comes. He's the true deliverer. He's the one that brings us God's promise. He is the fulfillment of all God's covenant promises. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christmas. So this year, church, of all years, we have the opportunity to point people to the real hope that's found in Christmas. And I think we've all heard that cheesy cliche rhyme, Jesus is the reason for the season. He is the reason for the season. And this year of all years, that's actually going to matter more than it maybe has ever mattered in the past. It's not just a cliche line this year, because I don't know if you know this, it's gone on record now, this year is the least happy year worldwide of any, any year they've ever recorded since they started recording this. There are people depressed, and they're hurting, and they're hopeless, and they're joyless, and they're distant, and they don't know where to go, and they're apathetic, and Jesus is the answer to all of those things, church. We don't have to hide that this year's been hard. We don't have to hide, you don't have to hide that you've suffered, that it's been a mental battle, that you, maybe you struggled physically, maybe you've had weeks that have just been terrible and weeks that are really good. I'm not saying don't hide from any of those things, but you tell people in this season that Jesus is still enough for you, that there's still hope and joy from you, even in the mess that you still have hope. And listen, if you're in here in the room and you don't know this hope, man, Jesus wants you to know this hope. 
Jesus came down out of heaven and became weakness. He became a man. He took on sinful flesh so that he could show you the way to God, so that he could die for you, so that he could wash away your sins and he could make you something new so that you could have the hope of knowing who your God is, the I am. This is why God constantly focuses on himself. He wants to draw you into who he is. You will let yourself down. You will sin. You will fail. You will get apathetic. You will give in to your depression, but God will never let you down. You let yourself down. God will never let you down. That's why he's saying, come. And people need that this season, church. If Moses could do it, if Mike can do it, you can do it. And maybe it has nothing to do with something like Victory Mission. We can't all go. In fact, we, we're, if, I think Brandon's going to start coming. We're pretty much capped out. We're pretty much capped out on who can come. And maybe, it's not, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. I'm thinking that it probably does. But maybe it doesn't. But God is using people just like you. And he wants to use, peop- he wants to use you specifically to make his name known. Will you make his name known? How do you think you could step out in faith to make your God known to a lost and hurting world? Maybe it's something simple like finally being committed to disciple someone or being in a discipleship relationship. Sunday morning is important. Proclaiming the gospel together and man, shouting amen and worshiping songs. Being a gathered body is important, but real family happens in life group and discipleship. That is your connection point at this church. It's why we don't have a billion programs. We want you to make genuine relationships with people, not just do stuff. And maybe it's getting a relationship where maybe it's maybe you're, you're not the discipler or the disciple. You're just getting together with someone and you're talking about who God is and you're talking about who you are in him, and then you're pushing each other. How can we go out there and be a light in this world? How can we step out and make God known and hold each other accountable to going out and working towards making disciples? Maybe it's to stop using excuses that you're too busy to meet with someone a few times a month so that you can get serious about who you are in Christ. This is not another check-the-box kind of thing that's going to make you a better person, church. This is about dwelling on who your God is, building a relationship with Him, and having someone else to do that with. It's powerful. Rejoice and weep together. Use your gifts for each other. This is the things that we're supposed to do. So maybe it's that. But maybe you're already doing that. Maybe it's, it's being more vocal about why you have hope and joy in a year where there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope and joy going around. One of the lowest happiness years on record. Like I said, being honest about the difficulty and the hardship, but also about the joy and the hope that you have. Hey, listen, maybe it's stepping out of your comfort zone and going to serve with the outreach team. Maybe even at John B. Hughes, where I say the outreach team, but John B. Hughes has its own volunteer base too. Maybe it's going and partnering with John B. Hughes, one of the apartment complexes in the neighborhood that God's called us to serve. Maybe it's leaving your house to go build relationships with people in our neighborhood so they might know that God loves them, that, that you genuinely love them, right, with no agenda. Of course we want them to know Jesus Christ, right? But you don't really have an agenda. You just want to build a relationship with them so they know that you love them. And for those that you encounter that do not know Christ, making his name known to them through your relationship. Not beating them over the head with a gospel presentation. Building a relationship, showing genuine interest in them. And if you see that they don't know him, that they they seem a little hopeless, they don't have the joy that you have, then just be willing to open your mouth and share that with them. Church, we say we want to be a church that goes on mission. Man, there are people going on mission. Will you join them? It's what Corey and Duane are doing. It's what Esther is doing. It's what others in our church are doing. Why not you? They're not extraordinarily gifted people. They're not like superstars. They're just faithful. They're just faithful. And here's a, maybe an easy one. Here's a step into this. This will be my last one because I don't know what it is for you. Here's, here's an easy one. Maybe it's being committed to pray every single day for a lost friend, for a lost family member, for a lost coworker. You know, sometimes they're the hardest people to consistently pray for because there's the most baggage there, there's the most pain there, there's the most hurt there. But it's something that I realized about a year ago I hadn't really been doing. Every once in a while when I remembered, 
But you don't know this, but there's a lot of you in this room that I know that you have lost family members, and I pray for them every day. I, I don't I want you to know, I, I pray for the lost every day. I pray for the lost in John, in John B. Hughes now every day. I pray for the lost in Tom Watkins' neighborhood every day, that God would bring them to us. I pray for my lost family members and friends. What if that was the first step for you? God, slowly molding and changing your heart and softening your heart to actually and genuinely care that people don't know Jesus, and if they don't get saved, they are going to hell. What if that reality sunk into you And you know how that'll happen? It's not you check the box, I'm going to pray every day. It's through prayer. It's by seeking God, begging God to save them, right? Begging him, begging him to to save him. I want to start pointing to people's families that I pray for all the time, begging him. God will soften your heart. He'll change your heart. He'll give you a passion for the lost. He'll give you a passion for people who are hard to love, who is exactly what we need to go for, right? Those who are hardest to love usually are the furthest from Christ. Then you pray and you beg God to save them. And then you be open to God using you to be a part of that process. You may have nothing to do with it. Or he might use your service, your words, your patience, as Renee said, your kindness to lead them to Jesus. What if that was your first step to getting real serious about making God known? Here's here's the thing. I could keep going and going. I don't know what it is for you. We as a church want to provide opportunities for you, but this is not a church program thing. This is a life thing. Just saying, I'm going to say yes to God and I'm going to find, I'm going to find ways to make his name known. Because like Moses, he's asking you to go. To go and share his glory. To spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make him known with your deeds. And for some of you, you need to hear this. And with your words. With your deeds and with your words. It's not if God is asking you to do this. It's how God is asking you to do this. So here's all I want us to do today. I want you to take some time, maybe where you are. Here in a minute, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to be standing with some other people. You can come over and pray with us. Or if you just need your own space, you can come up to the stairs, right? You can come up here and just bow before God and get on your knees and cry out to God. But I want us to pray a few things. You can pray other things, of course, but here's three things I want every person in the room crying out as a church family together. And here they are. One, I want you to ask God to give you the desire to make his name known. Right? The desire. I know some of you don't really have the desire right now, and if you just try to go out and do this, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and like, I'm just going to start sharing Jesus because that's what I'm commanded to do. Yeah, you are commanded to do it, so you need to do it. But do you think that's the heart that we need to go out and, and share and make God known for? Like, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to white-knuckle it? No. God wants to have a relationship with you so he can conform your heart to be like Christ's. And Christ could not keep his mouth shut about his Father. He came to bring the kingdom of God and he's empowered you to do the same. He literally said it. You'll do the things. You'll do even more than I did. God wants to give you this desire. Will you cry out to him? And ask him to give you a desire to make his name known. So that's the first thing I want you to pray today. The second thing, I want you to ask God to help you overcome your fears and insecurities. Just like he did with Moses, just like he did with Mike, just like he did with me. I used to be in that same boat too. I know it doesn't seem like it now, but I wasn't, as you know, I wasn't always a pastor. I was the guy who was afraid to pray in front of any, anybody else. But over time, God uses you and it gets easier it gets simpler, and then you start to crave it. You start to want it. You start to like, man, i got to tell more people about Jesus. I want them to have this joy. I want this to have this joy. So pray that God would take away your fears and your insecurities. And again, that doesn't come by you trying to be better, but it's by you turning to the great I am who will give you everything that you need. And then the third thing, kind of the third and fourth thing. I want you to ask God to give you opportunities to make his name known. You know, for me, when things started changing at my job, I was a pharmaceutical salesman. While I was selling drugs, pharmaceutical drugs, (laughs) I was trying not to even do that this time. Um, I started asking God, God, just during the day, if there's someone that needs encouragement, that needs to know about you, that I could even pray with, will will you just open the door for me today? It was crazy what started happening. I started praying with people in offices. Do you know how nervous I was the first time I did that? Standing there in my suit, 
holding drugs in my hand, saying, can I pray with you? And front, sometimes in front of other nurses. Do you think you'd be nervous to do that? I was nervous to do that the first time. And then like almost, it not, I don't want to exaggerate, and then like often at lunches, when we take doctor's lunches, real controversial, um, I would pray with people at lunch. Do you think that's because I'm a good person? No. I was not focused on those things before. I started asking God, just give me an opportunity. And then when the opportunity comes, I ask God, give me the courage to say yes and open my mouth. Because here's the thing, a lot of you are going to pray for opportunities if you do this, and they'll come, and you're not going to speak. Hear me, it's okay. Pray again. Say, I know I, know I miss this. Don't, you, don't, don't wallow in shame and guilt about the opportunity you missed. You think God can't reach that person with, a, with someone else? Right? You just let that go, and you think, man, that was the moment. When they said this, that was the moment. God, give me another opportunity. That's a really hard thing to ask and genuinely mean it, isn't it? Because if you ask for an opportunity and God gives it, then you have to open your mouth, right? So ask God to give you an opportunity. When we didn't know where to go serve in the neighborhood or how to do this outreach thing, we prayed for God to give us opportunities and he opened up the doors wide to John John B. Hughes. Like the next day, I'm not saying you're gonna get an opportunity tomorrow, but you might. So I want you to ask God, give me an opportunity. God, give me the desire. God, take away my fear and insecurities and give me courage. And God, give me the opportunities and opportunities that I actually step up into and make your name known. That's what I'm asking of you today, church. Of course, you may need to pray about other things. If you need to repent, if you need to ask for forgiveness, if you need to ask God to forgive you, if you need to forgive yourself and ask God to help you to do that, then do that. But here's the three things I'm asking you to pray for today. Because God's name needs to be made known. And you need to experience what it's like to be a part of that story. God is painting this beautiful story of who he is and he wants you to be a part of it. So the question is, will you be? So I'm going to go over here and you guys pray and you can come up here, you can stay where you are, you can come over and pray. Then after that, whenever we're ready, we're going to do communion. So church, wherever you are, just cry out to God.